Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. I, I love the welcome. You guys are awesome. Um, I also felt like I was a bit of a walk-on to like a Saturday Night Live performance with that music. <laughs> Or I was in a really weird elevator. I don't know. Um, it is good to be with you this morning. And I believe we're, uh, as a church, going through the series uh, of the embodied life. The embodied life. What does it look like um, to live the embodied life? For, for Christ to rule in our hearts, in our lives. And today, we're going to be looking at another of those one another phrases and sayings. And this morning, we're looking at the phrase, admonish one another. So sit tight. Um, <laughs> admonish one another. Um, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of the word admonish, um, or, or what comes to mind when you think of being told by somebody, I don't think that's the best choice for your life, or you're an idiot. I don't know how you feel about when you hear that sort of word, um, and just as we start today, I want to start with the definitions of admonish, because that helps us as we, as we work our way through, and so admonish has three different definitions um, from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. There's this, uh, to indicate duties or obligations to, um, second part of that is to express warning or disapproval, to espe- uh, especially in a gentle, earnest, or solitist matter. Um, secondly, to give friendly, earnest advice or encouragement to, and thirdly, to say something as advice or a warning. Um, I want to tell you a story about uh, when, when I was growing up. Um, as I told you many times, my favorite sport is soccer. It is the best sport in the world. The real name is football. Whatever football you're playing is the wrong football. You have a hand and an egg ball and you throw it. It's not football. Real football is with your feet. Football. Um, and so um, I love soccer. And behind me is a very flattering photo of myself at 13 years old. Um, I know. What happened? <laughs> Glow up. That's what happened there. Uh, this, <laughs> 13 years old, here I am, um, receiving the, 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 the coveted Player of the Year award. My only time in my entire soccer career that something kind of went well for me. And I'm 13 years old, and I get this award. Um, and I've told you about the story before when I broke the award in half, and that, that's another story. You can look back on previous sermons about that one. But I want to tell you about my coach. My coach was called Chris. Um, I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, Um, but he was called Chris, and uh, Chris, um, when he was not coaching, was a lovely man. But when Chris was coaching, I didn't like Chris, Uh, and we would be playing, and he would be shouting, and he'd be screaming, And he'd be telling us, don't run there, don't run there. Or, you're an idiot, get back. Chris, just run. Like, move your body and run. And he'd be shouting and he'd be screaming. And then he'd be shouting at the referee and swearing and cursing at them. And then swearing at cursing at parents on the side. It's like, your kid sucks, why are they even on our team? And he would would go and he would go and he would go. And then the game would be over. He'd be like, guys, what a great game. So nice. You play, good job, played really well. But during the game, it was one of the like, scariest things of my life. I Chris as a coach for about 10 years. For 10 years, he coached me. Now, on one side, 
he was a very good soccer coach. We became a very good team. We won lots of competitions. We did really, really well. A number of our players went on to play high, high levels of soccer. He was a really good soccer coach. But on the other side, I still have nightmares of Chris. I still have nightmares. I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of the word admonish. Who comes to your mind when you think of the word admonish? Um, interestingly, I don't know if you know this, but we all learn in different ways. We learn in different ways, and the three primary ways of learning are visual, auditory, or kinesthetic. And who knows, who actually knows their way of learning? Who knows what their primary way of learning is? Okay, a couple people. A couple people. So, um, visual is the most common. About 65% of all people learn primarily visually. 30% of people learn auditory. And 5% learn kinesthetic. So you have to do something to learn. So we've discovered this in, in Steph and I's marriage that we learn in different ways and we respond in different ways. And so for myself, I'm an audio learner. I can take things in, hear things, process, I then talk it out. And that's how I learn, how I process. Steph is in the minute 5% of people that learn kinesthetic. And she's a dance teacher, which makes sense. She learns by moving and doing and teaching and showing. But if I wanted to say, admonish Steph, which I don't, I, I'm a lovely husband. Um, but if I was going to say, hey, I don't think that's a great idea. Or, hey, can I show you how to do this? Or, hey, can I help in any way? Me showing, hey, we should watch this video together and you should learn that way. Or let me there, let you listen to a podcast, which should help you. Actually, those ways of learning don't quite sit as well. But if I said, hey, can we do this together? Can we, can we process through this together? It's an easy way to learn. And so my soccer coach, Chris, didn't quite understand that. He thought we all learn auditory. He just shouted at us all the time. For me, it kind of worked. But there's still scars. Um, but this is important as we think of what it looks like to admonish one another. See, admonishment is something that we don't like to talk about that often. Especially in a Canadian culture where we want to just be at peace and not say anything nasty or feel like we're putting someone down. And, and admonishment can be quite a hard thing to grab our heads around. However, admonishment is something the Bible talks about. And so today we're going to process through a few verses. I know you're doing 20-minute sermons. Power sermons, is that right, Rob? 20-minute sermons. Um, so this is going to be 45. Are we ready? Um, I'm just kidding. Um, but we're going to process through the eight times... In the New Testament, when the word admonishment comes up. And the word admonishment is the Greek word nuthateo. Can you say nuthateo with me? Yes. Killed it. Nuthateo. And so nuthateo is the, this word comes up eight times in the New Testament. And nuthateo basically means to place in mind for someone. Okay, to, to place in mind. And it comes up in three different words that we would translate in English. The first is admonishment. The second is warning, and the third is to teach or to instruct. So it comes up in different contexts. And that's important as we unpack some of the verses today, as we look at what the Bible says, and how do we speak to people in this way. Uh, so we're going to just read through some of the scriptures. So I would encourage you to have your Bibles open. Um, we're going to be going fast. If you want to take notes, they'll also be on the screen behind me and on the screen in front of you if you're watching online. So let's jump into these scriptures together to give us a better understanding of what admonishment means. 
Okay, so we'll start with Acts 20, verse 31. These scriptures are going to come up on the screen. And it's Paul, and he writes all of these different scriptures. He says this, uh, Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Okay, that's the first reference we have. Let's move to the second. Romans 15, 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And as you can see, I've underlined where the nuthateos are coming up in the verses. You can see those words. Thirdly, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Fourth, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 14. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who are laboring among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. And then lastly, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 15. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So here's our different verses in scripture where Paul writes about what it looks like to admonish one another. And as we can see here, the words come up, warn, admonish, instruct, teach. And it looks a little bit different in different contexts. And I think from these verses, we can pull out five really key things that help us process of what does it look like to admonish in a godly, in a Christ-like manner. And what are some of the questions we should be asking ourselves before we admonish? How do we receive admonishment? What does it look like when someone wants to give us warning? or instructions as a healthy follower of Jesus what does that look like and so there's five things and I want to process through a few of them using some of the verses that we've had come up on the screen and that we've processed through the first one is this admonition admonishing it requires endurance and emotion endurance and emotion as Paul said he in the first verse we looked at in Acts with Ephesians he he cried he had tears every day for three years every day for three years admonishment is not merely just information transfer but it requires soul it requires emotion it requires effort it requires time it requires perseverance and often as we can see through these different scriptures admonishment is uh, the work of those who are spiritually mature and so my question is, do you have the character and the maturity to admonish? This is a self-assessment right now. Do you have the character and the maturity to admonish? I love this quote from uh, Father Thomas Duby, Catholic priest and author. He says this, the humble person is open to being corrected, whereas the arrogant is clearly close to it. Proud people are supremely confident in their own opinions and insights. No one can admonish them successfully. Not a peer, not a local superior, not even the Pope himself. They know, and that is the end of the matter. Filled as they are with their own views, the arrogant lack the capacity to see another view. 
So if I was to ask you, are you humble or are you proud? How do you receive admonishment when someone gives you a warning or a teaching or an instruction? This is, this is hard, okay? I, I, I told you to strap in. This is going to be a convicting sermon. I'm just, just put out there. I was convicted as I had to process through this. Um, are you humble or are you proud? See, admonishment requires emotion and it requires endurance. Emotion and endurance. Before we even think about admonishing someone else, how do we feel about being admonished ourselves? And are we mature enough? Do we have the character to receive it? The second thing is this. Admonishing requires and depends on a genuine knowledge of the Bible. Genuine knowledge of Scripture. It's not simply just sell, telling someone like it is. It's not coming along to someone being like, well, that's your opinion. You want to know my opinion? Ever had those conversations before? I have a few eyes, a few scared eyes looking at me. <laughs> maybe you may be sitting next to the person who is admonishing you. Um, it's not just simply thinking, oh, I just think that because I once saw that on an Instagram post. I once saw somebody share on Facebook, and so therefore I think that. Admonishing requires a genuine knowledge of the Bible. What does Paul write? He says this, um, genuine admonishment comes from wisdom found in God's word. That's Romans 15, 14. That's Colossians 3, 16. And it's aimed at improving the spiritual condition of the hearer. That's the purpose. It's aimed at the maturity of the hearer. So my question on point number two is from what source do you admonish? From what source do you admonish? How well do you know the word of God? Do you ever find God admonishing you through his word? Do you ever find God speaking to you as you read your Bible and you go, Ooh, I don't know if I like that. That makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know if I want to hear that. Do you ever feel God speaking to you through his word and admonishing you? I love what Tim Keller says. Pastor Tim Keller, he says this. If your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Just let that one sink in. If your God never disagrees with you, you may be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. See, I find when I read scripture, God convicts me. He encourages me. He loves on me, but he calls me to be mature in Christ. I alone, myself, Chris, the human being, the man, I am not mature enough in my own capacity, in my own abilities, but I can be mature in Christ. So do you ever find God admonishing you through reading his word? And the last question I want to ask you in this, and when you read his word, does it make your heart soft for others? Does it make your heart soft for those who do not know Jesus? Does it make your heart grow in love for those who do not Jesus? Because we can build up a knowledge of the word of God and we can become Pharisees. Jesus called the Pharisees out time and time and time again. So you know the word. You're living the word out. You know what God says, but it's not here. It's not letting you change your life. Do you know the word of God and does it transfer from here to here? Does it transfer from here? Does it, if it just sits here, it's just intellect and it does no one no good. Like seriously, this past uh, few weeks, um, in, in our lives, we've had some, some bereavements. We've had some moments where um, it's been a really tough few weeks, actually. It's a tough couple weeks. Emotionally draining, spiritually draining. Um, uh, good for, for, for Steph and for I to be in people's lives who are hurting. 
I can know the Word of God really well, but it does not help someone in the moment when I just go, here's a Bible verse, as you grieve. What, do, what helps them? It says, when I read the Word of God, it's like, comfort those who mourn. And, and so I find those who are mourning, and I just sit with them. And I just be with them. I don't need to give them the words. I don't need to do something. I just be with them. See, is the word of God changing your mind, but also changing your heart? And is it changing your heart for others? Plato, the philosopher, said this. When you admonish a wrongdoer, do so gently that it may not lead to hostility. Do so gently. The word of God should encourage us to gently admonish. To admonish with love. To admonish with direction. To admonish the hearer to grow spiritually and deeper in with Jesus. Here's the third thing. Admonishing goes beyond teaching. Paul couples admonishing and teaching um, a couple times, twice, in Colossians 1 and Colossians 3. And it is in these instances, the primary stress is not teaching, but imploring the hearers to do what the teaching instructs. I think sometimes we like to just say what we think because it makes us feel like we know more. You know what I mean? Like we go like, I know this, so I'm just going to tell you this. And then we leave. Right? <laughs> we run away. It's like, that's not helping. Because see, what Jesus says is actually disciples, they hear, but then they obey. They hear and then they obey. They hear the truth and then they obey the truth. And so part of admonishment is actually helping people obey Jesus. It's helping people obey Jesus. It's not just dropping truth bombs and then running. It's going, I'm going to tell you the truth. And I'm going to sit with you. And I'm going to process through with you. I'm going to be with you. Uh, we're, we're, going to, we're going to do this together. And it's so easy. And I find it so easy that we can just drop our opinion or drop our thought. And then we run. We just drop the bomb and we just run. And actually, that's not what the Word of God says. Teaching alone won't produce obedience. But admonishment does help in that process. And so, I ask you, for what purpose are you admonishing? Do you admonish to build up your own pride or your own self-esteem or your own smarts or your own spiritual maturity? Do you, do you admonish for those purposes? Or do you admonish because you want people to grow deeper in their love and obedience and relationship with Jesus? The fourth thing is this, and I love this. Admonishing is engulfed in worship. I'm going to read that Colossians 3.16 again. I love what it says. Let me just pull this verse back up here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The goal and the direction of admonishment comes also in spiritual songs and hymns, singing and praising to God. This morning, we sang the words, great are you, Lord. But we can't sing greater you, Lord, if we don't let the Lord be great in our lives. You know what I mean? We, we can sing those words. We can say those words. And in Jewish culture, and when Paul was writing this, most of the theology was transferred orally, right? So most of this theology was spoken. I really feel for the kinesthetic and the visual learners. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I would have been like, woohoo. Steph would have been like, oh, no. Um, but it was, it was orally. It was spoken. It was said. And actually, good theology came through music and song. And this is actually really important when we think about what do we sing? What are the songs that we put into our heads? What does this tell us about God? What does it tell us about ourselves? What does it tell us about life following Jesus? 
And I love this, that admonishment comes out of a place of worship, and it's directed in a place of worship. So does worship surround the way in which you admonish? That's my question for you. Does worship surround the way in which you admonish? Um, right now, I'm going through my ordination. Whoop, whoop. So I was licensed, and then two years ago, I was meant to be ordained. Two years later, I'm still doing my ordination process. Um, but I'm doing my ordination process right now, and I'm doing some assignments, and I'm doing some essays. Really fun. Um, but I'm doing a lot of reading, a lot of processing. And one of the things that I get to do in, in that is to read a lot of our, uh, the Alliance's founder, A.B. Simpson. Um, I don't know if you know much about A.B. Simpson, uh, but he wrote a lot. And, and when he would write, and when he would write sermons, the thing he did was he paired it with songs. And so he would write songs for his sermons. He was not a good songwriter. His songs are horrible. Like, really, they are. However, he knew something of going there. I will stand up and I will teach. And when I teach, I will say something. And I want something to, to grab someone's heart. However, it might not stick. It might, they, they may forget. And however, how many times have you went away from church going, oh, what a wonderful sermon. And then you get home and someone goes, what was it about? And you go, ah, Jesus like, you know what I'm talking about? And Simpson realized this. He knew that. He knew that people would forget. And so what he did is he would write songs along with his sermons. And so basically, people would then sing the sermon after the sermon, before the sermon. People would go away with a little melody in their head, and they would remember the words. Really bad melody, but people, it worked. It worked. People would remember, and they would, and they would do that. And it would be so interesting to go that in the foundations, in the beginnings of the Alliance Church, this was prominent. The, admonish, uh, the admonishment came through spiritual songs and hymns. It's part of our DNA. And I wonder, as you listen, as you sing, as you process, and go, what does God teach me through those moments? Okay, lastly, and this is the one is the one that will... It comes prefaced to all of these things, but also surrounds all of these four points. Is that admonishing is personal. Admonishment is personal. While it's possible in theory to admonish a stranger, the eight examples that Paul uses shows that he knows the people well. There is a relationship there. He spent three years with the Ephesians, 18 months with the Corinthians, whom he called beloved children. And he calls for the Thessalonians to respect those who are admonishing them, hence implying that the ones who do the admonishing know the people well. They know how to instruct them and how to warn them. And this is really important. Really, really important. Because admonishing someone who does not follow Jesus with the ways of Jesus will just resound like a, a gong in their head. I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you have a conversation with someone who does not know Jesus. And you say, but if you just did this. And they're going, I don't understand that. Being under the rule and the authority and the reign of Jesus, we follow Jesus. It makes sense to go, yeah, I should follow what Jesus says. But often we like to imply that and put that on someone else who does not follow Jesus. And it's very hard and it sounds like a gong in their head. It sounds harsh. It sounds irritating. And what Paul is saying in these eight verses is personal relationship is primary for admonishment. Personal relationship is incredibly important as you admonish. We're not to shy away from speaking truth, but we must make the distinction. See, to those without eyes, we don't demand sight. But to those who see, we charge to walk well. And that's the same for biblical 
admonishment and loving correction. And it's best applied in a community of the redeemed. A community of people who have said, I know Jesus and I know him well. And so here's my final question. Have you gained relational equity to admonish someone? Have you gained the relational equity to admonish? I love what um, Publius Cyrus, he's a Latin writer, he says this, admonish your friends privately, but praise them openly. Admonish your friends privately, but praise them openly. So I'm going to do a little relational equity quiz to finish this morning. Is that okay? A relational equity quiz. There's five questions I want to ask you. Um, and, and this is something I think you should process through before you feel like admonishing someone. Because it's very easy sometimes for some of us to admonish others. And for some of us, we don't want to say anything because we feel like it would be awkward. Um, for some of us, we're maybe parents. We have children. For some of us, we are spouses. For some of us, we have best friends. For some of us, we have brothers and sisters. And, 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 and it's a good question to ask the question of, do you have the relational equity to admonish? Because what Paul seems to example here is there's relational equity prior to the admonishing. See that in the eight verses. There's relational equity there. So here's the questions for you. My first question, have you ever encouraged them before? Have you ever encouraged them before? Before admonishing someone, have you ever encouraged them before? Second question, have they ever confined in you before? Have they ever confined in you before? Have they told you something personal to their lives and feel like they can trust you? Have they, have they um, confided in you before? Number three, have you ever shared anything personal with them? Have you ever shared anything personal in your life with that person? Uh, number four, would you trust them to admonish you? That's a good one. Would you trust them to admonish you? And number five, if you're unsure if you have relational uh, equity, assume you don't. If, you, if you're unsure if you have relational uh, equity, assume you don't. And focus on building a relationship of genuine love with that person. I once heard it preached. I can't remember where it was from. But the person said this, where, do you, where you do not have love, you do not have authority. Where you do not have that relational equity with that person, they ain't going to listen. And I think sometimes we, we feel it's appropriate to admonish because the Bible just says, admonish one another. And we're like, okay, <laughs> you suck, you're an idiot Pharisee. You know what I mean? And sometimes we go there, but actually that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that in relationship, in personal relationship, in trust and built relationship, you have equity and you can be heard. There was an old song um, a few years ago, um, and I used to, uh, one of my buddies that I lived with was called John. And, uh, and John was a hard atheist, um, um, really liked me, hate the church. Um, and, we, and we lived together for four years. Uh, and there's this song, and it was a rap song by a guy called Grits. Ever heard Grits? Yeah, we know Grits. Okay, so, so Grits was kind of like subtly putting Christian messages in his rap music, and it was really cool. And we used to play like video games together, and we always used to have Grits on in the background. He really liked Grits. He didn't really know like it was Christian music. Kind of funny. Um, but Grits has this really interesting line where he says, no one will care what you know till they know that you care. No one will care what you know until they know that you care. And so my question is, do you have the relational equity with people before you admonish them, before you warn them, before you teach them, before you instruct them? And this is a good self-assessment to do for ourselves. And I want to land with this. This is all summarized in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2. 
Paul writes this, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can even move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. As we admonish one another, it comes from a place of love. So, that's what it means to admonish one another. That's what it means to process through. I think for some of us this morning, we may feel a little bit convicted. We have to apologize to a few people. For some of us, we might go, okay, that makes more sense. For some people, it actually empowers. Because we've felt like, oh, I don't think I have the right to do that. But what it looks like is having the relational equity. The knowledge of the word. And the intention to go, I want this person to know that Jesus loves them deeply. And they can grow in the relationship with Jesus. And I'm not just dropping a truth bomb and leaving, but I'm here. And I'll stand with you in that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it speaks truth and life. It convicts. It encourages. And God, it is a, uh, it's sometimes a tough word to, to, to hear about admonishing. Sometimes we can feel convicted in the way that we speak to others. Sometimes we can feel um, afraid to speak truth and life. Um, but God, as we see through these eight scriptures, as we three see through Paul's life, admonishment came through a place of personal relationship, emotionally invested, years of conversation, years of life together. And God, in those places, there is trust. And in those places, we can speak. But when we do speak admonishment, when we do speak warning or, or teaching, God, would we do that in gentleness and in love? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.